Welcome to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Nadd, and this podcast is being produced in partnership with High Plains Journal and Great Plains Regeneration. With me today is Zach Stuckey. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Jess. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. You know, with High Plains Journal and the publisher, it really is my mission as a son and grandson to grow or just here in the heart of Kansas that we make sure soil health and our content is always practical and real. And no matter what cropping system you're in, that it impacts your bottom line immediately. Excellent. Healthy soil equals healthy people, planets and animals. And we're excited to be here. Welcome back to the Soil Solutions Podcast, and my guest today is Mr. Gail Fuller from Severy, Kansas. Welcome to the show, Gail. Hey, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Okay, a little bit of background, even though a lot of folks probably know you in the general area, but just for all of our listeners out there, um, Gail's life journey has taken him on a path from a 3,200-acre conventional farm to a 162-acre food farm that grows multiple species of livestock and literally dozens of different types of grains, fruits, nuts, vegetable crops all using regenerative soil health practices. So you have quite the story, Gail. And first off, with this being, you know, we're recording this in the winter. What do farmers typically do um, in wintertime? I kind of call it our continuing ed period. Yeah, winter winter is supposed to be the season of rest, although I'm not, I question that sometimes. But yeah, you know, I use winter a lot for planning, you know, looking over last year, planning for next year. And uh, a lot of that, especially with January, is it's conference time. It's it's get educated time, connect with uh, friends and neighbors and talk about the future. You know, and that's kind of where I met you at. Um, the third week in January in Salina, Kansas, has been a soil health mainstay um, for decades. And you've been a part of being able to provide soil health education, not only through Soil Health U, but with the work that you do on your own property. Um, so what do you, you know, what have you seen over the years with Soil Health with Soil Health U, which is the whole reason we're on the podcast right now. You know, we're talking about the 2023 Soil Health U event. So so, you know, what's your perspective? Well, it, it appears that we've gone past the thought of cover crops and soil health as, as being cliche. You know, it's, it's mainstream. We're, it's here. People are realizing the value of it, uh, dollars and cents, you know, not, not just pocketbook wise, but cents and, you know, and what it does for the environment, what it does for the neighborhood and the community. Yeah, we've talked about that as the title of this podcast is Soil Health Fake News. Um, I mean, <laughs> we've we've been in this, we've been having these conversations for so long. I don't think it's fake news. Um, but the core of what you do, Gail Fuller, talk to me a little bit about um, how did you become a regenerative farmer, which way back, you know, long ago... <laughs> We didn't call it regenerative farmer. You you were farming for to improve the health of your soil and to improve your bottom line. So take us back to the beginning. When did this all start? I think, was that a nice way of calling me old? Uh, perhaps. <laughs> it, it really started when I was young. Just, you know, when I started farming, I hated watching the erosion. It, it all stemmed out of 
trying to stop erosion from my farm. At that time, I knew nothing about soil microbiology, nothing about the carbon cycle, water cycle. It was literally just trying to keep the soil in place and uh, tried multiple times to get no-till going on the farm and struggled with that. But finally, finally got it figured out in the mid-90s, 1994, I think, when we started 100%. And uh, it took a couple of years of failing, and not failing, but realizing that soil erosion was still happening on the farm to, to the point in the late 90s, I realized that no-till was just a tool. It wasn't the answer like I thought it was, that, that my management still played a huge role in, in the uh, well-being of my farm. So there's a quote on an article um, that we can post that you said no-till alone doesn't work. Can you expand a little bit more about that? Sure. When I switched to no-till for the last time and really started to make it work where we were and, and by calling it working, we were growing crops. The yields were identical. You know, we were we were being profitable. I was told by those that were already there that no-till was kind of the top of the pinnacle. It, it was it. Nothing else to do on the farm. That within three years, the earthworms would show up. And, you know, I had this picture of rains falling softly on my farm forever. And that just didn't happen. But in, in my situation, my management at the time was a corn-soybean rotation by then. We'd taken out all of the other, you know, the other four or five crops in the rotation that I grew up with. And the corn was mostly being chopped for silage, which meant there was nothing left between a, a corn silage crop and a soybean crop. We were removing almost all of the carbon from the system. And so erosion, without any residue, without any armor on the ground, you know, erosion really didn't get better after I converted to no-till. So that's when I realized that you know, I, I couldn't just impose my will on my system. I had to I had to make some changes and bring in some other crops to bring carbon up in the system. Oh my gosh, that's that's super key, you know, kind of imposing are, do we get hard headed sometimes in the farming community? Very hard headed. And and it may just be a guy thing, but you know, starting out as hunter gatherers, us guys were the hunters and ever since then we've had this thing about conquering nature and it's not working Conquer. very well for us especially yes. in farming. We've got to quit trying to conquer nature. So that's really key. So previously you just said that um, you were removing all of the carbon for the, from the system by focusing on no-till and that um, even though maybe you were seeing more soil aggregation or more earthworms developing on your ground, what did you have to do next to get that carbon back into the system? Like, what was, was there a practice? Was there a principle? You said something about soil armor. We, we consider that one of our principles in regenerative agriculture. So let's expand. Sure. So, you know, after I was starting to see some issues with no-till from the erosion standpoint, I started trying cover crops in the late 90s, but my, my context was wrong. I, you know, I planted cheap cover crops. I would plant monocultures of radishes or turnips, which being low CN ratios, really weren't doing a whole lot for soil armor. So um, it, it, it probably helped attract some earthworms and there was some benefit with compaction and things, but they still weren't addressing the erosion issue. And it wasn't until 2002 uh, when I finally bit the bullet and swallowed my pride and brought wheat back into the rotation, which wheat in eastern Kansas can be a difficult crop to grow because of our high rainfall and high humidity is really suspect to disease. But that first year of growing wheat again in, in the rotation with corn and soybeans, everything clicked. The corn and bean yields went up, the erosion went down, and and it's 
you know, coincidentally or not, this was also about the time I started understanding there was living things in the soil besides earthworms. There was something called the carbon cycle, which I'd never heard of before then. It's, you know, it's actually really sickening and saddening to think of a, a farmer, you know, pushing 40 years old that, and it wasn't just me, but we, we had never been taught anything about carbon, water, mineral cycles, energy flow, soil biology, all that kind of got left out in soil classes and, and farm meetings. So, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I've actually, I've had other producers share that with me. Um, I do think the good news is, is that because of strategic education and because of groups like High Plains Journal, Soul Health U, Great Plains Regeneration, you know, the list goes on, No-Till in the Plains, Regenerate Oklahoma, um, Kansas Soil Health Alliance. There's, there's folks out there that now have a strategic mission to bring that soil health education when you were making these changes, what was available to you and what did that inspire you to be able to help your peers? It, it was really difficult in the early days. We had no-till on the plains. And at that time, that was really the only conference. And um, there, there weren't a lot of publications or journals or scientific research you could read. Uh, and so, you know, no-till on the plains going to Salina the third week of January was it. And I, I, I can remember one year, emailing uh, Brian and Jenna Lindley like the night or the, or two nights, but yeah, it was the night before the conference. And I said to them, this is my Christmas Eve. That, that is how much a lot of us look forward to going to Salina. Uh, that is where this movement started. You know, Brian brought Adamir Caligari from South America to speak. And that's where the cover crop movement really got started. In the United States was at that conference, uh, you know, names that, that came together at that conference, you know, in Salina, Jonathan Lundgren, Christine Nichols, Jill Clapperton, Gabe Brown, Ray Archuleta, Dave Brandt. I mean, the list just goes on and on of a who's who. And that's really where a lot of the collaboration began with cover crops, soil health, companion cropping. And, and Brian is the first person to talk about food and nutrition at a farm conference. So, you know, bringing in speakers and, and re- making us realize that we were growing food, not commodities. Yeah, I mean, I think that's key, and I've been I've been very honored to be allowed to to be a part of this second wave of soil health educators that are now um, you know a part of the landscape, and I've been very honored to be able to do that with High Plains Journal with Soil Health U, and um, yeah, that's how that's how I got my start was just being able to. Um, be a clear communicator and somebody who is interested in liaisoning information um, that a lot of you producers have, this producer-led effort um, out into everybody else. So I think that's why Soul Health U, there is such an attraction to it the third week in January, is it's that 101. It is education for everybody. It is a place for any producer, no matter what size, no matter where you're at in your farming system. You know, and we've called that place-based agriculture, place-based education. Yeah. And, you know, the conferences are always awesome because you get to go hear these others, you know, quote unquote, expert speakers, farmers and scientists, and they covered such a wide range of topics. But the really, really key part of, of, of the conference is the hallway. I mean, yeah. that's where you get to run into other producers and maybe they've tried it and failed. Maybe they've tried it and succeeded. But the, the networking, the networking that goes on at these conferences are, is just it's worth every bit as much the price admission is going to hear the speakers. Oh, for sure. And so you've gained a lot of inspiration, you know, being able to 
coordinate with other producers in your area, learn new tactics, kind of adopt a different mindset. So you've taken that back to the farm at this point. You know, you've already talked about, you realize that the context of no-till alone isn't enough. So adding the cover crops, what else are you doing in your system in those early years as to, to really achieve soil health? And, and do you ever achieve it or is it is it a moving target? Uh, yeah, you know, as we started the conversation in the early years, for me, it was literally about trying to stop erosion. But once we got into the early 2000s and I started seeing my soil come to life and, you know, met people like Dr. Jill Clapperton and started understanding the soil microbiome and the carbon cycle and all those things, you know, we realized or I realized it was much, much bigger than that. Uh, obviously, you never want to let soil leave your farm, but, you know, we started realizing the ability to cut down on our inputs, you know, cut down on our fertilizer use, our, our chemical use, you know, not only helping our bottom line, but, you know, better for the environment, better for the community, you know, less toxins in the water and all of these other things. And and the farm, it was just amazing to watch it come to life, starting with the earthworms. And then, you know, we're, we're finding all of these things under microscope in the soil but what that did above ground is the bird counts went up and then the insect counts went up. And then we had to figure out if that insect insect count was a good thing or not. Because, you know, as a farmer, you've been trained your whole life to kill anything that moves above ground because it's going to destroy your crop. And we, you know, we had to come to terms and and the mentality that has to come with that of accepting those things that have, have always been viewed as threats and accepting them as as good things. It, it's it's really difficult to wrap your mind around, but it was beautiful to watch. How did you, you talked to, we did a pre-interview and you talked a little bit about the farmer mentality of, of worrying about whether it's the insect count or worrying if the cover crops made your fields look AKA like trashy, trashy farming. We, our good buddy, Russell Hedrick talks about trashy farming. So walk me down this mindset of change. Has it been easy and then how do you help other producers through your peer network um, maybe overcome some mental obstacles to make change? No, the, the change wasn't easy. It, it was scary. You know, we were, we were spending money on cover crops that we, we didn't know how they were going to pay for themselves in the early days. Uh, we, we were risking losing ground to neighbors because, you know, we were farming differently and that that always just worries the community. You know, the landowners, they, they wondered what I was doing and it was difficult to educate them because I didn't have a lot of good resources. And I, I didn't have the ability myself to be a good communicator to my, to my landowners, to my banker, to my, my team. And that makes it difficult. And I, I think the one place that we really failed early on in this movement, we were so focused on teaching farmers how to plant a cover crop because the, the big pushback was, oh my God, you know, I've got all these different size seeds and how will I ever get them to go through the drill and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we were so focused on the how that we never really gave any or enough attention to the why and, and the mental side of it. And to give the farmers um, the ability to, to defend themselves and to educate their team uh, to, to give farmers the confidence that this was going to work. I mean, planting the cover crop physically is really easy, but it's, it's changing the mindset of looking at a field that, that used to be clean and now it's not, you know, in a farmer's eyes to see all these things growing. Um, when you start planting cover crops, especially multi-species, you're taking away the farmer's ability to use a pre-plant, um, pre-emergent herbicide. 
And so now, you know, farmers are having to think, oh, am I going to let weeds grow in my field? And that can't be good. And, and we just didn't do a good enough job, I don't think, of, of helping with the mental process. And I think, you know, when you look at farmers today, starting in the 70s, when we were told to, to do away with diversity and become specialists, you know, just grow corn and soybean or just grow wheat and soybean. And, you know, when I was a kid, we had seven crops in the rotation. By, by the year 2000, I had two and all the livestock had been removed. And so when you, when you start to farm like that, it, it becomes, I wouldn't say easy, but it becomes monotonous because you know exactly when the bugs are going to show up to attack the wheat and you know when you need to start scouting for the first weeds and when the, this rate of fertilizer goes on and all those things, it just kind of becomes a plug and play thing. And suddenly you're telling a farmer, let's plant a 20-way mix. And the farmer's thinking, you know, I have a hard enough time managing wheat and soybeans. And now you tell me to plant 20 something things together and, and how do I manage that? But it's, it's literally, again, it goes back to the conquer mentality. We're, we're, we're letting go of the conquer. We're going to let mother nature manage for a while and it's actually easier, but it, that's a hard thing to, to instill into a farmer, uh, you know, when we've been trained the way we've been trained. Wow. I think you're spot on. And like I said, just in my experience, being able to interview other producers, um, I hear bits and pieces of that all across the United States and internationally. I hear that agriculture has done amazing things and we have advanced so rapidly and we have been able to provide stability across the world. Um, but like you said, in the beginning, you still couldn't stop erosion. Like there was more things that you needed yeah. to be doing. Your context um, you know, w- wasn't quite there yet. So let's fast forward Let's bring this up to today because you're um, a co-founder of Great Plains Generation. You're on the executive board for that. You're also on the the board of directors for Ecdysis Foundation. Um, You didn't stop your education just with your acres in Severy, Kansas. Um, You're taking that to a much broader scale. And first of all, what drives you and what are you seeing today? That's a good question. So I think Maybe part of my continuing education came from the fact that I didn't go to college. And I, I was a really smart kid, but I was really ADD. And this was in a time when ADD really wasn't taken care of the way it should have been. And so, you know, calls to the parents from school usually went the wrong way. And, you know, the problem was never addressed. So I was more than happy to get out of school with my high school diploma. I, I could have gone to college. I should have gone to college or so I thought. And so maybe I, I always thought I needed to keep learning for that reason. Um, also, I, I've just always been one of those guys that seems to want to try new things. And so if you're going to try new things, you better know a little bit about it. And so I always tried to keep myself educated. Uh, in hindsight, not going to college was probably the best thing I did because part of this transition from, from conventional farming to where I am today was before I could learn a lot of these things, I had to start unlearning a lot of things. And if I'd have gone and gotten a four-year agronomy or ag degree, there would have been just that much more I would have had to unlearn before I could have uploaded more information. Uh, I think what drives me today is, you know, along the journey, especially in the last 20 years, you know, sadly, I've come to the realization that, you know, farmers who are the most awesome people on the planet have been lied to by industry trying to sell them products. Um, doing so damaging the environment, the health of the community, both physically and financially. And, and watching farmers struggle today, it's just, 
you know, I know we can do better. I want to help them do better. I don't want them to have to struggle the way I've had to struggle the last 20 years. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm trying to create a better future for them mentally, physically, and spiritually while at the same time trying to ensure that my grandchildren have a healthy, striving community to grow up in like I did. Gail, I think that was very beautifully put. We're, we're at a pinnacle right now. We're at a place in history where we can start to make change. I think the last two years have accelerated rapid change. I think uh, I had three words pop into my brain while you were talking, and I wrote them down. At first, I wrote down that kind of to summarize our conversation here, it's about learning, practicing, and then sharing. But then I went back while you were talking just now, and I scratched out learn, and I put learn and unlearn, and then put it into practice, and then share. So really, I mean, I think that's what the soul health movement is all about, And um, it is place-based. It's dependent on your region. It's dependent on what, you know, tools the producers have in their toolbox. It's dependent on rain, sunshine, climate, everything. Um, So are you are you excited for the future of soil health? I mean, you've got your hands in a lot of organizations. You do a lot of education on your farm. You're seeing a diverse group of individuals that are showing up for the soil health education right now. Yeah, I I'm I think I'm equally parts excited and scared right now. As, as you said, we we're at a moment in time in history, and I truly believe that. And I think I, I think the the future of the human race hinges on which path we take from today forward for the next few years. Uh, so you know, from that side, it really scares me because I, I really think that you know, with the human health crisis, the climate issues. Uh, you know, now with a virus that we we know is, has been brought on by our degradation of the environment, you know, we've got some really huge issues looming over our, our species. But at the same time, we also are at the point in time where we know that that by simply covering the soil and bringing life to the soil, we can fix all of this and we can fix it all really rapidly. And yeah, I love the diversity we're getting. Um, you know, l- last year's field school at the farm you know, I, I just, I can't put into words to watch some, some, uh, you know, female urban farmers from the city sitting around the bonfire at night with some of the large, largest large scale region farmers in America, all talking about farming. You know, those conversations yeah. just didn't happen five years ago and they have to, we, we've got to reconnect with, with urban farms, urban consumers, you know, we, we've got to bring, we got to get rid of this divide and bring these communities back together and figure out how we can fix this and then, you know, implement the principles of soil health. And this thing's going to fix itself really, really fast. I, I love that. In fact, um, the last time we held Soil Healthy in person was 2020, right before the virus hit. And um, I remember seeing this group of women, there's five or six women um, that were just like so thrilled. Everywhere they went, they just looked thrilled and excited and they were stopping um, farmers in the hallway, asking them questions. And it was just um, a group of women from a government agency that were so excited about Soil Health and they couldn't believe that they got to go to Soil Health U um, and meet some of the farmers that were doing it. So we've definitely seen a shift of individuals who are interested in this topic, but not just interested. 
we're seeing a huge shift in activators. We're activating um, the soul health movement. We're getting um, you know agencies involved. We're getting community groups involved. And I'm very hopeful for the future. I think that because of your influence and because of the work that you've done in the past, I think we're on the right path, Gail. I think you know we got to keep on keeping on, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, and, and as I get further into this and I become more community oriented and trying to look at the big picture and I'm starting to work more in the cities and, you know, we've been talking a lot the last few years about a paradigm shift. And I totally believe that we have to do that today. This isn't just about a few cover crops or pollinator strips. We're, we're going to flip the way we we run civilizations completely and and everybody needs to be on the same page. And I, and I look at, at farms and I look at cities and I look at rural communities and I, I, you know, I've been talking an awful lot about integrity the last few years and how much we've lost and we need to regain that. But something I've been thinking a lot about this winter, there, there's four things we're missing in America. And this has, someone could argue this has nothing to do with soil health. I say it has everything to do with soil health. The four things we've got to get back in America to make this work is integrity. Number one, yes. Um, we also need ownership, we need pride, and we need hope. And once we do that, we re-empower farmers, we re-empower consumers. Um, you know, we take back our lives, our farms, our communities. But, but those are the four things we have to have. And I just, I see a complete lack of them, no matter where I'm at today, whether it's parents trying to raise kids in the cities or, or farmers trying to, you know, just to make the payment at the end of the year. It's just... It's, it's what we've lost and it's where we have to have to build back from. Well, I'm inspired by the work that you do. I'm inspired by the work that um, you and Lynette are able to do at Circle 7 Farms in Severy, Kansas. And keep it up, Gail. I mean, I think that the by, by having this focus on those four um, key concepts, I think is what's going to make us successful. So, okay. I think we're at time and I would hate to cut this short and I'm, maybe we need to follow up with another, another conversation, but Gail Fuller, thank you so much for joining us on the soil solutions podcast. Thank you, Jessica. And look forward to doing this in person next year in Salina. All right. We'll see you in 2023. Appreciate you joining us today. And for more soil health information from High Plains Journal, please sign up, hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the page. I look forward to growing together.